another episode of Frightening Tales. We're calling tonight's episode, Every Rose Has a Thorn. I'm your host, Justin, and joining me tonight is the man with a 12th degree black belt in Pew-Jitsu, Tommy. Pew-Pew! But we have some topics to get into tonight. We just had Valentine's Day. Oh yeah, can't wait to talk about that. In a minute, Tommy and I are going to recount what we did for this Valentine's Day. Did we do something special for our wives? And Tommy is even going to tell us how he met his wife, because that's always been a mystery to me. We also have the top eight movies to watch on Valentine's Day. We were going to do the top Valentine's Day horror movies, but the lists were kind of pathetic, so we scrapped it and created our own. And also tonight's movie, we've got a young Dennis Hopper in Night Tide. I also have a great Louisiana love ghost story for you tonight. I can't wait to tell you that one. But first, we have a little report from Burgers. You know, the Bigfoot, UFOs, Rougarou, Ghosts, and E.T.'s Research Society. All the craze early this week, we've heard nothing but UFOs. The U.S. shot down four UFOs. So here's the official report from Burgers. Good evening. I'm Dom Bell with a special report from Burgers. The United States shot down four unidentified objects. The government denies they were of alien origin, and they indicated that the debris from the objects will not be recovered. The government claims these objects could be part of an advanced Chinese spy program or used in unknown scientific research. The government claims these objects were detected because the U.S. adjusted their early warning systems after shooting down a Chinese balloon over the Atlantic. There are no other reports at this time, but the government assures us that there is no alien invasion. I'm Dom Bell, and this is a special report from Burgers. You know, I don't think those are UFOs or Chinese spy balloons. Look where they were at. That was just some new food delivery service for the people that live in these rural areas. Some guy was just waiting for his Domino's pizza, and Biden goes and shoots it down. So we're delivering food by balloons now. Yeah! How else are you going to get to these remote places? So what do you think they are? I just think they were just regular balloons. Now There's not enough there to convince me those were UFOs. You're always the skeptic. Well, let's move on from UFOs and get to what we did this Valentine's Day. I'm certain you did something pretty romantic there, Tommy. I sure did. Before you tell us what you did for Valentine's Day, how did you meet your wife? Because I know everybody wants to know this one. We met at a Walmart. At Walmart? Yeah, one Black Friday many, 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 many moons ago. I was there for a Black Friday special. Walmart had this combo. Two rolls of duct tape and a can of WD-40. Now, I wasn't going to miss out on that special. And I don't normally brave the aisles of Walmart on a Black Friday. But that was a deal I just couldn't pass up. So, how did you meet her at Walmart? 
Well, she was there for the same thing. She knew a good deal when she saw one, so she was there too. And it was one of those magical moments. We were both running down the aisles, only I didn't see her. She came down from the other side. I saw there was one combo left. I reached up to grab it. She reached out to grab it. Her hand touched mine, and then we turned and looked at each other. What I saw was this beautiful redhead woman with twinkling green eyes. Oh no, I see where this is going now. Yeah, that twinkle in her eye wasn't love. It was straight up maliciousness. That's a pretty big word for you there, Tommy. Oh, I know, I know. But anyway, we stared at each other for about a second or two. Then she sucker punched me and ran off with the WD-40 and the duct tape. So you let her get away? Heck no, she didn't get away. She had to go stand in that long line to check out. So once I caught my breath, I caught up to her. And that was it. We got to talking and next thing I know, we're out on our first date. Where'd y'all go? The same place we went for Valentine's Day. The range. Okay, so now tell me what did you do for Valentine's Day? Well, you see, our favorite spot, The Range, every year for Valentine's Day, opens up for a picnic before they start letting people shoot. So, we packed up a lunch, went to The Range, and just sat there and enjoyed the great outdoors. And while she nibbled on her little ham sandwich, I gave my little Spitfire her gift. A Judge pistol with pink handle grips. And several boxes of ammo, which only took like 30 minutes to shoot. Was that the only thing y'all shot? Oh, you think I went to the range and left Vera behind? Oh, no, 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 no. We shot my wife's judge, fired a few rounds through Vera, and the wife brought out old Big Hank. That nice 50 caliber her dad gave her. <laughs> it rattles the roof every time she shoots it at the range. The people at the range, they wear extra hearing protection when they see us. They know exactly where to put us, all the way at the other end. Because they don't want us in the middle of the range. So was the picnic the only thing you did? Oh, no, no, no. I made a reservation at her favorite place to eat for later that night. The Waffle House. The Waffle House takes reservations? Well, if you want to get into the Waffle House where we live, you better make a reservation. That place is always packed. But on Valentine's Day, they have a candlelight dinner special, and I just knew she would love that. So, I made the reservation, and we went to the Waffle House. After that, our local theater had her favorite movie. They play this one every year for Valentine's Day, so it's not like it was a big surprise it was coming. But I knew we were going to go watch that, because we watch it every year, heck, I think we watch it about seven times a year. There's no stopping this movie. Ooh, and what movie is this? My Big Fat Redneck Wedding. I don't know why I ask. I really, really don't know why I ask. Because I know what kind of answer I'm going to get. You know you like to laugh. But it's a pretty good movie. What's it about? It's about a couple that meets at Walmart. Oh, so this is your life story. Well, no. It was based on our story. 
No, it wasn't. Yeah, you're right, it wasn't. I'd just like to tell people that because it's kind of a funny movie. My big, fat, redneck wedding. Yes. You you know I have a chance by talking about my big, fat Greek wedding. No, 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 no. It was inspired by it. Okay. So what'd you do? Mine wasn't uh, quite as eventful as yours. Mine was just a simple, I started out in the morning with a card and her gift. What'd you give her? I got her this nice little ring that she had her eye on. I got her a little Valentine's Day card and some uh, Hershey Kisses uh, lava cake version. Lava cake? Like the thing we can get at Chili's? Yes. Ooh, how was that? Those are pretty good. Not, not too bad, I'd have to say. Hmm, I might have to go see if I can find me some of those. So what did this uh, ring look like? It's kind of, it was uh, It's a silver ring with twigs entwined around each other. Yeah, we don't go real big on Valentine's Day. Yeah, we don't really do anything uh, expensive-wise. I mean, she got me a Ghostbuster shirt and some Ghostbuster stickers. What we really go big on for Valentine's Day is the dinner part. On my way home, I stopped at the local butcher and picked up the best-looking steak. You should have seen the marbling on this steak. And it was delicious. Normally, when she's cooking, I break out my turntable and put a record on. It's usually the Hozier's debut album. Ooh, now that's a romantic album. I love that one. Many a date nights listening to Hozier. Well, this year, I thought I'd do something a little different. I've been hanging out with our deep voice announcer guy. He sent me home with a CD that him and Linda Mintz did called soft words warm nights and i was listening to the poetry he recited i was impressed by the poetry that he selected to recite on this cd so i figured my wife would uh, like to hear this instead of our normal here's one of his poems shall i compare thee to a summer's day thou art more lovely and more temperate rough winds do shake the darling buds of may and summer's lease hath all too short a date sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines and often is his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair from fair sometime declines, by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou host, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. I knew he was versatile, but I didn't think he was that versatile. And I didn't know you were so smooth like Gomez Adams. I always figured you to be more like Herman Munster. Thanks, Tommy. But you know what that poem reminds me of? The one that Aramis used in Three Musketeers. It's very similar, but it's not the same poem. Ah, oh, drats. So you use the Aramis Maneuver. The Aramis Maneuver? Yeah, that's the move when you use poetry to pick up a woman. You may uh, speak first if you like. Your name, her name, an endearment or two. Trust me, words are a complete waste of time at this sensitive point. Only the wrong words are a complete waste of time. The right words can make a more lasting impression than a thousand of Porthos's kisses. <laughs> Not likely. Right, see? Shall I demonstrate? As morning hues of sun-swept fire caress your passion face, 
alone with thee, a pure desire to worship untold grace. My soul would cry in silent prayer to hours swept apart. Your essence warms the evening air as I dance into your heart. Oh, I see. Have you tried it? Yeah, I, I've tried it before. And uh, let's just say it, mine's more like the D'Artagnan blunder. As morning hues of sunswept fire, fire, caress your poisoned face. Oh, so you're the one who said a bad poem or couldn't remember a poem and end up having to go full Porthos to pick up the woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even tried to make up a poem. How'd that go? Oh, let's just say I discovered my wife's left hook. What did you say? Uh, the poem went, Roses are red, violets are blue. If you were a booger, I'd sure pick you. Were you trying to be funny with that one? Or were you trying to be serious? Oh, I was serious. Yeah, I would have punched you too. <laughs> well, 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 I'm not as romantic as you are. So what else you do that evening? Because I'm, I'm certain steak and poems weren't enough. So after we had dinner, I broke out the Dracula Rosé. I came with a little silk vampire cape on it. Oh, yeah, I see where you're going now. You fell for that Facebook ad, didn't you? Yeah, Facebook got me. Also in this special came four bars of vampire chocolate. Now, if you haven't had vampire chocolate, you're missing out. This is by far the best chocolate I've ever had. First time I got it was a Boutique de Vampire in New Orleans. And they won't carry it during the summer because they don't have AC. Now that's very smart. Nobody wants melted chocolate. Nobody wants expensive melted chocolate. Well, that too. We're always partial to the dark chocolate, but this one came with milk and dark chocolate. We still have the milk chocolate, but we devoured those dark chocolates. Man, that sounds like a good evening. Yeah, it was. That's enough talking about what we did for Valentine's Day. We need to get to our movie of the night. Tonight we have Night Tide with starring Dennis Hopper. Now this is a very young Dennis Hopper. This is before his big time, so his acting is uh, not as good as we... No Dennis Hopper to be. Now, Dennis Hopper is a sailor who is on leave and he comes across Mora. And Mora thinks she's a mermaid. This movie was inspired by lines from Edgar Allan's Poe, Annabelle Lee. Wow, that's one of my favorite Edgar Allan poems. It was released in 1963 as a double feature with The Raven. So here, let's go ahead and start our movie, Night Tide. Oh, 
Excuse me, uh, do you mind if I sit here? I can't see anything but their backs from where I'm sitting. It's all right. Thank you. That's really a great combo, huh? I'd like to listen, please. real fine music, isn't it? Yes, I like it. You mind if I buy you a drink? No, thank you. I'd like to. No, thank you. I don't know how to reach you or anything like I'd like to see you again if it's okay. It's impossible. Hey, wait. Um, just let me talk to you for a little while. I'll just walk along with you. Shouldn't be out alone on a night like this anyway. Would I be safe with you? Yes. Hey, I know that woman upset you. I thought maybe you'd need somebody to talk to. Come on, is this the way? Okay. Here's where I live. <laughs> it's a merry-go-round. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you live inside a wooden horse? No. My apartment is upstairs. It must be pretty noisy living over a merry-go-round. Sometimes. But I love the music. It reminds me of when... Of when you were a kid? Yes. Well, good night. Wait a minute. I don't even know your name. My name's Johnny. I am called Mora. Aren't you going to invite me upstairs for, for a while? I have to go in. Just for a while. Good night, Johnny. Mm -hmm. 
Hey, Mora. Well, can I see you tomorrow? Please? All right. I'll fix breakfast for you. Okay, what time? Around 11. Okay, I'll be here at 11. Welcome back to Frightening Tales. We were just talking about UFOs and what we did for Valentine's Day. So we're going to continue on talking about things for Valentine's Day with our top eight movies to watch on Valentine's Day. How come you just didn't go Valentine's Day movies? That's because I was rather disappointed with uh, the selections of Valentine's Day movies. Let's just say there's far fewer of those compared to Christmas-themed horror movies. Oh, and then when I saw Good Housekeeping had its own list, I decided that, you know what, I'm going to make my own this time around. Oh, good thinking. So what was on Good Housekeeping's list? Now, they didn't do a horrible job in picking movies for Valentine's Day. They went with movies that are themed in Valentine's Day, just like this is from their article. Most of these are actually based on the holiday or have some kind of direct connection to it. But since there are so few of those, we've also known a few horror movies that have love or romance as their main motifs. Throw one on if you want a movie that deals with themes of love, possession, and obsession, as well as hearts, gore, and blood. So, they had 15 movies. I'm going to go through and just kind of list them here real quick, because we want to get to our top eight, which is drastically different from theirs. So, their number one movie is My Bloody Valentine from 1981. Number two was Picnic at Hanging Rock. Number three was Raising Cain. Number four, Bride of Chucky. Number five, My Valentine from 2020. Number six, Pontypool. Number seven, Valentine. Number eight, My Bloody Valentine from 2009. Hey, 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 that's cheating there. You can't use the original and a remake in the same list. It's essentially the same movie. Yeah, but they did this one in 3D. Oh, the 3D craze. At number nine, Tales from the Crypt, 1972. Oh, I love that show, Tales from the Crypt. No, there was a movie called Tales from the Crypt. This is nothing like the show that you and I both love. Oh, you're going to hear the similarities between this one and the show that we like. Because Tales from the Crypt, 1973, is a five-segment anthology with a human crypt keeper to do the introductions. Mmm, I see where you're going. Similar, but no. Number 10 was X-Ray. Number 11 was Down. Number 12 was Cupid. Number 13, The Love Witch. Number 14, Only Lovers Left Alive. 15, Bones and All. I haven't heard most of these movies. That's because these movies don't take place on Valentine's Day. Most of these movies were made in the 2000s from 2000 to 2022. Uh, very few 80s and very few kind of uh, classic. So let's move on. Let's get to our top eight movies to watch on Valentine's Day. You're only going to find one movie I agreed with Good Housekeeping on. So let's get to our top eight movies to watch for Valentine's Day. Bride of Reanimator comes in at number eight. And number seven, The Bride of Chucky. Yeah, see, I told you, there was one movie. So you and Good Housekeeping agree on one movie so far, Bride of Chucky. Yeah, 
Bride of Chucky deserves this because I, I remember the trailer for this one. Here, I'm going to go ahead and play that for you. Chucky's back. But this time, there's more to fear. Because this time, he's got a playmate of his own. Bride of Chucky. So far, I've not listed two very classic movies. Uh, both are very campy and funny for what they were. But we're exploring the, the love connection that they have. So coming in at number six, Bride of Frankenstein. I knew you weren't going to be able to get away without not having a classic like Bride of Frankenstein. Now, to me, Bride of Frankenstein is kind of... Um, the one that inspires movies like Bride of Reanimator or the episodes that we've seen or the characters created in Penny, the old Penny Dreadful show on Showtime. But I, I just love it that uh, Frankenstein comes in or Frankenstein's monster comes in and tells Doc Frankenstein, you are going to build me a mate. You're going to build me somebody to live my life with. And at number five, we have Dracula Untold. Now, you're going to find I have two Dracula movies. I cheated as well there, Tommy. I remember the first time I saw Dracula Untold. I was not too impressed with this movie. Then I watched it several years later, and I really enjoyed it. So now it, it's kind of made this list because he chose to be Dracula, not only to save his country, but to save his child, to save the love of his life. He was There was no way he was going to let anything happen to them. Well, let's get back to our movie Night Tide, starring Dennis Hopper. merry-go-round already sure i am sunday's our big day those look like beautiful horses do you mind if i look at them sure go right ahead sir thank you don't cost nothing to look them horses are all hand carved imported from bavaria most people don't notice how special they are they're the finest in the country morning dad uh, good morning ellen uh, just showing this young man here what fine horses we got Oh, excuse me. Uh, this is my granddaughter, Ellen. Hello. Hello. What's your name, son? Johnny. Johnny Drake. How are you? Dad, have you got the key to the cash box? Oh, yeah. Got them here somewheres. Oh, thank you. I better be getting upstairs. I'll see you around. Hey. Uh, Beautiful horses. Uh, who are you going to visit? Well, I'm just going to visit a girl named Maura. Maura? Uh-huh. I ain't never seen you around here before. You, uh, just, um, meet her or something? No. No, I've known her for a while. Oh. Well, I'll see you around. Well, so long, son. Okay.
It's me, Johnny. Good morning. Good morning. Come in. Thank you. How are you? I'm pretty good. Quite a place you got here. Thank you. I collect things from the ocean. Yeah, so I see. Can I take your hat? Oh, thank you. Are you hungry? Yeah, I'm starving. Good. Breakfast is ready. I have it on the balcony. Okay. Come on. Where's the balcony? Right here. Oh. Hey, Maura? Yes? Sure have a great view. Thank you. I love it. Let's make a toast. All right. To you and me. And to the beautiful Pacific. To us, Johnny. <laughs> I hope you like fish. I found these wonderful fresh mackerel this morning. I love food from the ocean, especially lobster and crab and sea urchin. Do you ever eat sea urchin? No, I never have. It's like a wonderful ocean fruit. You scoop them out like a pomegranate. I like to taste one sometime. Oh, they're rare around here, but I think I know where I can get some. Maybe next time? Okay. <laughs> What do you do? I mean, do you work or what? Yes, I work. In fact, I have to work today. On Sunday? What do you do? When I told you my name, hadn't you ever heard it before? No, I don't think so. Well, I work on the amusement pier. I'm an attraction. What, are you a dancer? No. <laughs> they throw baseballs at you. Don't they? Not really, don't they? No. <laughs> My job isn't dangerous. I give up. What do you do? I'm a mermaid. You're a what? A mermaid. Half woman, half fish. I don't get it. Oh, it's very simple. I wear an artificial fishtail, and I lie in a tank that looks like it's filled with water. And people pay 25 cents and come and look at me. And that's how I make my living. Don't you ever get tired of it? Sometimes, but it's restful anyway. I told you about myself. What about you? <laughs> Me, I'm a member of the U.S. Navy. <laughs> you really want to know? Yes. Well, my mother, uh, 
My father left my mother and I when I was very young. So I became very close to my mother. And I've always wanted to see the world, and I never had a chance to. I couldn't. Then my mother fell ill and died. So I figured the easiest way to get out of Denver, Colorado, was to join the Navy, see the world. But I haven't seen any of it yet. You will. I hope so. Are you going to eat any more? No. They're attracted by the food on your plate. Look at that one. Watch them. One will come too close. They get bolder and bolder. Hey. You. Surprised you, didn't I? Where did you ever learn to do something like that? I don't remember. Probably on the island where I was born. Huh. There, there. Don't be afraid, little bird. I won't hurt you. Sweet bird, don't be afraid. <laughs> Is that supposed to be you? Mm-hmm. It's the way I look when I'm in my costume. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm gonna see this. You will. I wonder where Sam is. Who's Sam? He's the owner of the show. My boss, as you say. Hey, aren't you afraid people are gonna see you out here? No. They don't pay any attention to the place until Sam begins to spiel. Oh, yeah? You, Captain Murdoch. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Oh, I was—I was just thinking, my dear. Yes, I was—I uh, was merely contemplating some important matters in the quiet peace of the uh, summer afternoon. Why are you so late? I'm not late enough to make any difference. Run along now and get ready, will you? Oh, I will, but I want to introduce a friend of mine. This is Johnny Drake, Captain Murdoch. How do you do? How are you? <laughs> Hurry along now. I'll be warming up the amplifier. All right. I'm going to put my costume on. I'll call you when I'm ready. Hey, you're not going to be long, are no. you? No. Okay. Sure is a hot day today, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Quite. <laughs> that right over there must really shake you up. You ever tried it? No. Looking at it all day is enough for me. <laughs> Tell me, young man. You've been sailing the seas for how long? Oh, not long at all. I've only gone as far as the Hawaiian Islands. I'm stationed down in Pedro. Oh, that's a pity. That's a pity. I thought we might reminisce. You know, compare notes as one seaman to another. You know I'm retired from His Majesty's service. Oh, you mean the English Navy? Precisely, precisely, the English Navy. Later on, I became captain of my own ship. That's how I found her on one of my voyages. You mean more? 
Yes, well, perhaps she's told you all about it. No, she hasn't. She told me uh, something about coming from an island. You know, you might be interested in that story. It's a very unusual one. Now, why don't you come and visit me sometime? Well, listen, maybe I can come down uh, some weekend when I have liberty. Yes, yes, in no hurry, no hurry at all. But I tell you what, I'll give you my card. I live in Venice. It's not as grand as its Italian namesake, but it has a certain charm, nevertheless. <laughs> Captain Samuel Murdoch. Yes, yes. I'm ready, Johnny. Oh, uh, well, I, I'll see you around. Yes, yes, goodbye. Bye. Mora, ladies and gentlemen, Mora the mermaid, the strangest creature in captivity. See her alive. See her living underwater. Half woman, half fish. The strangest creature in captivity for 25 cents, ladies and gentlemen. One quarter of a dollar. The thrill of your life. Only 25 cents. Mora the mermaid. Welcome back to Frightening Tales. We're going over our top eight movies to watch on Valentine's Day. These movies have nothing to do with Valentine's Day. More about the deep connection the characters have with one another. Last segment, we gave our first four movies. Bride of Reanimator, Bride of Chucky, Bride of Frankenstein, and Dracula Untold. So let's continue with our list. Coming in at number four, Dracula. And I'm talking about the 90s version starring Gary Oldman. That connection, that love story was much better than any other told in Dracula. I agree with you there. And it was even shot better. Uh, of course, got Keanu Reeves in there in uh, pre-John Wick days. Coming in at number three, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And you made fun of my big fat redneck wedding. And you put that movie in there? Well, yeah, it's a classic love story. You just take Pride and Prejudice and add and zombies on the back of it. Rewrite the story to include a zombie invasion. And there you go. The movie was pretty good. It was well shot. The action was there. The love was there. Uh, I loved how Darcy figures out who are zombies. Check it out. A potion? Flies, Mum. I beg your pardon? Carrion flies. They're in the possession of but one truly... Enviable talent. The ability to detect dead flesh. I've won the trick. <laughs> Very crafty players, the Kingston. I dare say that buzzing is frightfully loud. Well, it's not the buzzing that should concern you, madam. But rather when the buzzing stops. Later on, Darcy goes and uses that same method. The flies are all flying around. And uh, Miss Bennett starts catching all the flies like she's the karate kid with Mr. Miyagi. The theme of love permeates through this movie, uh, much so like the regular Pride and Prejudice. Have you ever watched Pride and Prejudice there, Tommy? No, but I have a feeling this Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies was a way to get guys to go enjoy rom-coms. <laughs> You're probably right, because I didn't hesitate to say yes when this movie was released. Well, coming in at number two, I talked about this movie a couple weeks ago, Warm Bodies. Nick Holt is a zombie, and he meets the love of his life when they were out looking for medical supplies, and he, you know, like, sees her and then accidentally eats the brains of her boyfriend. 
Check out the trailer. They call these guys bonies. They'll eat anything with a heartbeat. I mean, I will too, but... At least I'm conflicted about it. Nice watch. much don't be creepy don't be creepy what are you i don't understand but he's changing and he feels and he's learning to be human again oh my god is that him yeah sup you started something here whatever it is that you two have it's infecting the others dad they're somehow curing themselves they are not curing themselves <gasps> This movie is a lot like Romeo and Juliet. War and factions between humans and zombies, they're, they're at war with each other. This is a corpse infected with the plague. It is uncaring, unfeeling, incapable of remorse. And you know they're not supposed to be able to fall in love with each other, but they do. And believe it or not, falling in love is the cure for zombieism. Who knew? Now for our number one movie to watch on Valentine's Day, The Mummy Franchise. Man, I, I don't see that Boris Karloff being very romantic. I didn't, not him, the Brandon Fraser one. Oh, Brandon Fraser, yeah, 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 Emotep. Emotep was made a mummy because of love. So there's one love connection. And then when he comes back 3,000 years later and he sees... And there you go. We're off to another love story. He's got to bring his, the love of his life back. And the connection between Evie and O'Connor is amazing through all three movies. And each time they thought they lost one another, they, you could just see that their worlds were shattered. But none more apparent than in The Mummy Returns. They just defeated the bad CGI rock scorpion. You got Emotep and O'Connor sitting there hanging on for dear life. Evie rushes out to rescue O'Connor. Meanwhile, Emotep's love of his life, a Nox and a Moon, runs away. And that's when he realizes that she never really did love him. or The love that he was willing to die for is sitting right next to him in the form of Evie and O'Connor. That's when he decides to sacrifice himself. That's why the Mummy movies are the best to watch on Valentine's Day. Now let's return to our movie tonight, Night Tide, starring Dennis Hopper. Santa Monica Station. 
good night. Are you going to sleep? No. Don't you want to go for a swim? I'll go a little later. You get cramps if you go in now. Ah, uh, I've never believed that. It's true, though. It's very, very dangerous to go in the water right after you've eaten. Maybe. <sighs> hey, more. what's with this Sam character? Sam? Yeah. Nothing. What do you mean? I mean, uh, what's his story? Who is he? You've been thinking about him, haven't you? Yeah, sort of. Sort of a funny old guy. He's just a lonely old man. Do you know him very well? Quite well. He's my employer. Sometimes I think my only friend. He's your only friend? What about me? Of course you. You don't know me very well. Maybe after you get to know me. I think I know you pretty well. On our third meeting? No. But I'd like you to know me better. I'm not afraid of that. Why should you be afraid? Tell me, did Sam say anything to you about me? He said that he found you on some island. Yes, he did. He found me as an orphan on the island of Mykonos. I was just a child and he adopted me. You mean he's your... Uh... My guardian. He's been like a father to me. I owe him everything. I'm sorry, I didn't even realize. I, I, if I said anything unkind about him, I'm sorry. That's all right. I know that he's a strange man. But he's been so good to me, and I'm grateful. And I know you can understand that because of what you told me about your mother. Would you like some more coffee? I'd love some. Love the sun, don't you? Yes. The sun. And the moon and the stars. And the sea. Yes, the sea. Guess I love the sea most of all. But I'm afraid of it, too. Guess we're all a little afraid of what we love. Hey, Maura. Yes? You're awfully far away.
back a little you okay yes it was that woman wasn't it huh what woman Welcome back to Frightening Tales. Tonight we've been talking about all kinds of things. We had a special report from Burgers, and we've talked about the top eight horror movies to watch on Valentine's Day. So let's get back to our story, because I'm really enjoying this Louisiana ghost story. Hollow's Eve tale for you. My great aunt Mimi used to say we had pirates in our family tree. I'm not sure that was true, but I certainly felt comfortable in Lafitte's blacksmith shop. Lafitte's is a local bar in New Orleans on the corner of Bourbon and Ursuline, named for its most famous owner, Jean Lafitte, the Baratarian pirate. It has all the qualities I most prize in a bar. It's dark, private, and the employees are discreet. All fine attributes for a bar anywhere, especially the French Quarter of New Orleans. 
I was having a Sazerac, made with rye whiskey, around 7 p.m. on Halloween. It was already dark at that time, and the maskers were starting to appear up and down Bourbon Street, and the rest of the quarter. I had an hour to kill before my engagement for cocktails at 8. I was meeting a couple for drinks at Muriel's on Jackson Street. Unfortunately, I was going to have to face the most dreaded situations. The blind date. Since my girlfriend of a year had given me the ultimatum of marriage, or split, that made for an easy decision. I missed her a bit, but not that much. We were booked in the seance room at Muriel's, which was a logistical coup given the popularity of the room in the special evening. The seance room looks like something out of a Victorian Gothic novel. The room has 14-foot ceilings and a chandelier which would be at home in any haunted castle. The walls are covered with thick curtains of a deep red color, which accent the Persian rug on the floor and the deep red upholstered chairs at the seance table. Table seat six and is set with an antique silver candelabra. Cocktails are served discreetly by waiters in tuxedos who enter and exit through a door hidden behind the luxurious curtains. I was looking forward to the evening in spite of the ghoulish terror of a blind date. I paid the tab and walked out into the New Orleans night. The city always looked slightly spooky to me at night, and whether it was this holiday evening or just the usual ambiance of the city, it felt unusually strange. A full harvest moon, or blood moon, had risen in the east, as if on cue and completed the window dressing for the evening. The air was cool with the omnipresent humidity, which either came in off the gulf or southeast breeze, or the mighty Mississippi only a few blocks away. I walked the two blocks to Charter Street and took a right to the corner of Jackson Square, or the old Place de Arms, where the Spanish drilled their military contingent during Spanish rule. It was renamed Jackson Square in honor of General Andrew Jackson, who led the local militia, armed citizens, and local pirates in a spectacular defense of the city from the invading British Army during the War of 1812. Some historians have relegated this battle to a historic footnote under the erroneous assumption that the battle meant nothing since the peace treaty had been signed some time before word reached the city. Nothing could have been further from the truth. The fledgling United States had reluctantly gone to war with their old patriarch and nemesis, Great Britain, for the second time in less than 40 years. The American forces had fought the British to a draw in engagements from Canada to Florida. The British had plans to ignore the Louisiana Purchase on the basis that Napoleon, who they were busy fighting in Europe, did not have the authority to sell Louisiana to the United States. Had the British succeeded in taking New Orleans that January in 1814, they would have undoubtedly repudiated the peace treaty and tried to wrest control of not only the Mississippi by controlling New Orleans, but also the vast territory which made up the Louisiana Purchase. When the British launched their invasion through the marshes by Chalmette, Jackson and his army of militia, citizens, and pirates met them in defense of the city and the Mississippi River. In the end, the defenders defeated the British army with a staggering loss ratio of over 3,000 British to 70 Americans. It was said that Lafitte and his pirates poured cannon fire on the British with deadly accuracy. The pirates were used to firing from moving ships against moving targets. Firing from fixed positions on fixed targets was child's play for Lafitte's men. The British took their most lopsided defeat in history, and the Americans sent the commander of the British forces, Lord Pakenham, back to London in a vat of rum. In return, Lafitte and his pirates received full pardons from a grateful United States.
My costume for the evening was my old standard, Blackbeard the Pirate. I had real leather boots and a fine frock coat paired with a linen shirt, tan breeches, and a very stylish wig, which at least for one night brought me back to the hairdo I had in college. All in all, I thought I cut a rather rakish figure. My mood began to lighten. Maybe I would have made a good pirate after all. Would my great-aunt have been pleased? When I entered Muriel's, I could see that the evening's festivities were already in full swing. At least half of the patrons were in full costume, and the place was humming with excitement for the night's revelries. I wound up the staircase to the right to the second floor, where the special dining rooms and the seance room were located. When I got to the top of the stairs, the Mater D took my name and looked for an entry in the reservation. Yes, sir, Mr. Duval. We have you booked into our most popular room this time of year. However, I'm sorry to inform you that your companions, the Jameses, will not be able to join you. They called to advise that something unexpected has arisen and that they cannot make it. They send their deepest apologies and want you to know that the entire evening is on their account. But it seems that your date for the evening has arrived and awaits for you in the seance room. I'm sure you'll be most pleased. She seems to be quite charming and is undoubtedly beautiful, he whispered conspiratorially. Not good, I thought. A blind date and no one to fill the inevitable lapses in conversation. But here I was, and there was nothing to do but put on a brave face and see the night through to its conclusion. I followed the Mater D and held my breath as he opened the door to the seance room and ushered me in. And here is where the tale begins. We're going to take a moment and pause here so we can return to Night Tide. Hi. Hi, how are you? Thank you, my dear. We were just having some tea. Do you want some? Well, I was just going out for some coffee. Oh, you can have that here. I just said tea, but I meant coffee. Madame Romanovich here is the only one who drinks tea. And how are you, lad? Hi there, how are you? Pretty fine, pretty fine. That's good. Sit down, young man. What a dreadful invention these tea bags are. If everyone insisted on using tea bags, I'd never be able to read anyone's tea leaves. Isn't that so, young man? Yeah, I guess so. Of course, for myself, it doesn't really matter. I can't read my own anyway. Fortune tellers never can, you know. They can see for everybody else, but not for themselves. <laughs> it's quite frustrating at times. Must be. Coffee. Thank you. How long have you been in the Navy? Just a little over a year. What part of the country are you from? I'm from Denver, Colorado. Now, this is my first time out on the coast. Oh, then you are a visitor in our midst. Yeah, I guess you could call me that. I like it out here. When I get out of the Navy, I'd like to locate out here. Hello, folks. Oh, hello. Dad, it's Lieutenant Henderson. Oh, how are you, Lieutenant? Fine. Would you like a cup of coffee? No, thank you. I can't. You haven't seen anything new or unusual, have you? No, I haven't. Have you, Dad? No. How's things with you, Lieutenant? You come across any new clues? Maybe. We're not quite sure about it yet, though. There's not very much to go on. 
It's nice to know you ain't just given up. Well, I'd better be on my way. See you all again soon. Well, bye, Lieutenant. Bye. What was that all about? Uh, that was Lieutenant Henderson of the Venice Police. He was asking us about Mora. Mora? What about her? You're a stranger here, and I guess you don't know what everybody here knows. Ellen, dear. You're meddling. But I think you ought to know. I think somebody ought to tell him. Don't you, Dad? Why, sure. Certainly in no secret. In the past two years, Morris had two boyfriends, and they're both dead now. What, do the police think that had something to do with her? Nothing's been proved. No, not yet. But don't you think the fact that it's happened twice is enough? They were both nice boys. They went around with her. Then suddenly, they disappear. A few days later, their bodies are found, washed up on shore, drowned. Nevertheless, my dear, there wasn't a shred of evidence that it wasn't simply a most unfortunate coincidence. The police haven't been able to make a single arrest. I know, but if she didn't cause their deaths, then she brings bad luck, and that's almost as bad. I bet she didn't tell you about those boys, did she? Hello? Merry-go-round. Oh, we want to ride the merry-go-round. Okay, I'll be right back. Uh, just hold the line, man. Hey, sailor, it's for you. That's funny because nobody knows I'm here. Hello. 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 I don't know. Um, look, something's come up. I'm going to have to go. Thank you for the coffee. Just a minute, young man. Do drop by and see me. The cards will tell you a great deal.
Did you see a woman go by here? Charlie, surprise. Come in, come in, come in. Well, you finally decided to honor me with a visit. Yes, we were talking about my ward, weren't we? Well, uh, what I have to say is rather difficult to explain, particularly to young people, you know. I feel that young people nowadays form their opinions about life too soon. One shouldn't do that. But then perhaps you're different. What were you going to tell me about more? Oh, my dear, 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 dear. Maybe you aren't different. Patience, young man. Patience is a virtue. You should learn that. But, uh, no, actually, uh, what I want to tell you is difficult to put into words. Certainly into words that you would understand. However, I can put the basic fact quite bluntly. You are in grave and serious danger as long as you continue to see Mora. I'm in danger from you? No, certainly not. Then what are you talking about? Mora, my friend, Mora. You must be crazy. On the contrary, I'm quite sane. And Mora is quite dangerous to you. In what way? Well, uh, shall we say that she... Uh, that she suffers from a certain compulsion which might cause her to take your life. You're trying to tell me that she's insane? Not precisely, but it might be better if you thought she were. Oh, I wish you'd take my word for it. Break off this, this acquaintance before it's too late. You're a nice young fellow. I wouldn't like to see you get hurt. I wonder if you'd be good enough to get another bottle of this splendid liquid from the cabinet over there, wouldn't you? While you're there, you might turn on the light. It seems to be getting a bit dark in here. One at the end. On the lower shelf. Well, don't be alarmed. That's just a little Arabian souvenir. The hand of a thief. The Mohammedans punish their thieves by removing the offending portions of the body. Rather gruesome, but uh, logical, don't you think? How did you ever get that? It was a gift from the Sultan of Marrakesh. He knew that I collected odd things, so uh, he sent it to me. Rather thoughtful of him. 
Yeah. It's very interesting. To another? You hit that stuff pretty hard, huh? Well, it may seem that way to your young eyes, but at my age, one needs a little stimulant. You'll find that out later on. You were going to tell me some more about Mora. Oh, yes, yes. So I was, so I was. Well, you've, you've read the Greek myths, haven't you? No, no, I haven't. You certainly know the legend of the sirens who in ancient days used to lure seafaring men to their destruction. Yeah, I've sort of heard of them. Well, the sirens were a strange race of sea people, half human, half creatures of the sea. The female of the species were uh, known popularly as mermaids. That means women of the sea. It's like that, uh, that act you and Moore put on. Exactly. But that's a fake, isn't it? A sideshow illusion. You wouldn't believe that they actually exist, would you? No. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Well, let me tell you, young man, that things happen in this world never dreamt of in your philosophy. Where do you think myths come from? Do you think they're just made up? No, they spring from truth. Ancient truth. Living truth. Uh... What does this have to do with Mora? She was a sweet little thing. She lived here with me. Up there. That was her room. Behind that door. I found. I found her on an island. I didn't know then what she was to become. I've become? I didn't know then that she belonged to that ancient race. She's a monster. And if you don't stop seeing her, uh, I want you. That's all I can do. Uh, look, just tell me one thing. Cap Captain Murdoch, there's a woman that's been bothering Mora. Now, I think she's here. I just want to talk to her, that's all. Woman? There isn't any woman. I'm all alone. Captain Murdoch. Captain Murdoch! Sir! Welcome back to Frightening Tales. I hope you're enjoying tonight's movie, Night Tide, starring Dennis Hopper. Now let's get back to my Louisiana ghost story. Dominic had just got to the seance room. And here is his blind date. Hope for the best, but expect the worst. That was my attitude when I walked into the room. 
As soon as I stepped across the threshold, the door closed discreetly behind me, and after taking one look at the woman seated at the table, I was glad I hadn't bolted. To say that I was pleasantly surprised would be an understate. She was a lovely, no, beautiful, elegant, and aristocratic. I wasn't sure if she was always this stunning, or the fantastic costume she wore was a reason for her allure. When she rose to extend her hand to me, I realized that this woman, dressed in any style, would be stunning. She was small of stature and fine-boned with delicate features. It was clear to me that she had the blood of several races in her veins, and each one added to her beauty. Her skin was slightly dusky, and her hair was of the darkest black, long and thick, and worn up off of her shoulders. She had an elegant dress of the finest deep red velvet, obviously handmade by a skilled dressmaker. Its quality and expense were evident, and it fit her perfectly. The tiny waist gave way to a rounded hip and bustle, and the bodice was cut just low enough to reveal the tops of her lovely, dusky breasts, alluring and teasing, but not vulgar in any way. I recognized it as what was known as the directory style, popular during the aftermath of the French Revolution. How many French aristocrats meant the guillotine in such a dress, I wondered. It was fitted tight against the torso from the waist upwards and heavily full-skirted below. The high waistline caused the skirt to flow down the long line of the body and accentuated the natural curves of her splendid body. A very large pearl set in a filigreed mesh of silver hung from a fine silver chain around her lovely neck. It lay exactly halfway between her aristocratic neck and her lovely breasts and was in all ways the finest complement to her costume. I hoped that my mouth wasn't hanging open the entire time I looked at her. I began to speak, but before the words come out of my mouth, she seized the initiative. I am so pleased to make your acquaintance, she said. I have looked forward to this night for the longest time you can imagine. You are everything I hoped you would be. I am Justine de Bournay, she said. Somehow I found my voice and replied, And Miss de Bournay, I am Dominic Duval, at your service. I understand that we'll be alone tonight, and I hope that I will be able to entertain such a gracious lady as yourself without the assistance of our absent friends. It would seem they've encountered some trouble and will not be joining us. She did not reply immediately, only gave me a faint and charming smile. Then we shall have no choice but to entertain ourselves. I'm sure we are up to the challenge, she said with a smile. Yes, we shall, and to that, perhaps we should begin with some champagne, I said. Oh, yes, my favorite, she replied. I pulled the tapestry bell rope to alert the waiter that we were ready to order, for behind the curtains emerged the waiter. Monsieur and Madame, he queried. What is your pleasure, Justine? I am partial to the Billicart salmon champagne. Then that makes two of us. Very good, sir, the waiter nodded. An excellent choice. It shall be here momentarily. I wonder if the waiters ever found fault with an order of expensive champagne. When he made his exit, I looked and across the table at my. <clears throat> when he made his exit, I looked across the table at my companion and smiled. And how shall we entertain ourselves this evening? I questioned. Champagne, conversation, and what else? I let the question linger in the air. I smiled, what I thought was a sophisticated smile, and she smiled back with her radiant good looks. 
If body language was any guide, this was getting off to a good start. The champagne arrived and we began to relax. I thought it was time to turn on the charm and also to get to know something more about this beautiful woman. While we exchanged the usual small talk, I couldn't shake the absolute certainty that I knew this woman from somewhere else. But this was impossible. I would have remembered her for sure. A woman like this did not come along every day. Even more puzzling was the feeling I had that she looked like she knew me or had seen me before. Do you believe in destiny? she asked with a faint smile. Are you in the seance room because you like the privacy? Or do you think there's something spiritual about this place? I admitted that I mostly liked the decor and privacy, but that was open to other experiences, especially on Halloween night. With this, she produced a deck of tarot cards, which she must have had in her small purse, and set them before her on the table. Do you want to know the future? She looked at me quizzically and smiled that faint smile that I'd grown to love already. Yes, but only if it's positive and includes you, a chance to be forward. I can only say that it's positively your future and it does include you, she replied with a strange emphasis on the last word. Okay then, I'm ready. She dealt seven cards face down on the table. Ready? she asked. Yes, I replied. With a delicate and practiced hand, she turned over the cards. The star, she said. And with this, I saw the brightly colored card with a naked woman dipping from a pool of water with a bright star which shone like the sun overhead. A past of privation, but a future of hope and bright prospects, she said. The next card was the Ace of Wands, a hand jutting out from a cloud and clutching a stout wooden club. A past of decadence and perdition, but a future of clouded joy. She then turned the third card and intoned, Knight of Wands. I looked at the colorful knight on his horse and hoped for a better fortune. Departure and absence and a change of residence, she said. Next came the Ace of Cups, a disembodied hand holding a chalice with a dove. Joy, contentment, abundance. I liked that. The fifth card was the Wheel of Fortune, a card with what looked to be a compass with a devil of some sort on the southeast quarter, Increase and abundance, she said. I began to realize that the pictures on the cards had little to do with their meaning, assuming she was right, of course. Next came the moon, a rather angry-looking moon with howling dogs and some sort of crustacean reaching for the moon. This card stands for instability, silence, and error. Not so good, I thought. Actually, even a little frightening, given the huge moon hanging in the evening sky. And the final card was... The Lovers. I held my breath, hoping this was a card with promise for me, maybe even for us. Unfortunately, she quashed that immediately. It is the card for failure and foolish designs, frustration. You mean it's not us, I asked? I did not say that. Only what I told you, no more, no less, she said with finality. Then are we the lovers and we'll be together? Or will we be frustrated, as you just said? It means what I've told you, she replied flatly. But what is that? I'm hopelessly confused, I complained. Will we or will we not be together, I pressed. That is the wrong question. We are together, 
have been together, and be ensured that in the fullness of time we will be together yet again, she cryptically replied. Now it is almost midnight, and I must excuse myself. If you should question yourself in the morning, be assured that this whole night has been real. Do not doubt it. And what you feel for me and I for you is also real, and will come full circle in the fullness of time. But please, don't leave without telling me. How can I reach you? I pleaded. You cannot reach me, but if you want to find me, my address is 720 St. Louis Street. Come in the gate and go straight ahead down the path. But please, do not try to follow me tonight. I must leave now, she said with some urgency. With that, she rose to leave the table. I rose with her and blocked her exit from the room. Please, a kiss before parting, I pleaded. Yes, the better to remember me by, she replied. I leaned down to touch her lips and pulled her close to me. I gave her a chaste kiss on her beautiful lips. As I leaned into her, the pearl hanging from her neck touched against my chest, and I felt a warm sensation where it touched my shirt. When I pulled away, I was astonished to see the pearl had burned a hole through my shirt and had scorched my skin. I pulled open my shirt, and to my amazement saw that I had a burn exactly there and in the shape of the pearl. She saw my astonishment and merely smiled that now familiar smile. I am so sorry, Dominic, my love. I should have warned you about that. After all, you gave it to me, she said in a wistful voice. And with that, she flowed out of the room and was gone. I kept my word and did not pursue her, probably because I was too astonished at the evening's events. And besides, I had her address. I would take this up with her in the morning. And the fact that I got credit for the pearl that scorched me wasn't such a bad deal. But how on earth? Had that happened, I wondered. Don't you just hate it when the story is finally getting to the point and it's time for a commercial break? Well, it's not time for a commercial break, but it is time for us to return to Night Tide. right of him to tell you, but I didn't want you to know. Now I suppose I, I won't see you anymore? Well, you don't think I believed him, do you? But it's true, Johnny. They are waiting for me to join them. You've seen one of them. You mean that woman? You saw how she looked at me. How she spoke to me. She's one of them. She's one of the sea people, and she's here to remind me of the time that I must go to them in the sea.
I don't know how or where you got these ideas, but they're wrong. You see, these things don't happen. Oh, Johnny, if only they didn't. If only they couldn't happen. Americans have such a simple view of the world. They think that everything can be seen and touched and weighed and measured. You think you've discovered reality, but you don't even know what it is. Then you mean that everything Sam told me is the truth? Almost everything. Well, will you just tell me how you know? Because I feel the seawater in my veins. Because I listen to the roar of the sea and it speaks to me like a mother's voice. The tide pulls at my heart. And the face of the moon fills my soul with a strange longing. Laura, I don't understand. since I was a kid. My grandmother used to have one of these on her dresser. It does sound like the ocean, doesn't it? When I made the voyage to this country from Greece, I carried such a shell with me over the land. And that way I kept the sea always with me. Always close. Johnny, I'm so afraid. So don't be afraid. Look, look, I don't know what this is all about, you see. I don't know what it's all about. But I know that I'm here and that we'll work this out. I telling you, but I will you to come here. I really did, and I'm so happy that it worked. Oh, really? I know you have a problem, a very serious problem, and I'm going to try and help you. I think you ought to appreciate that. After the reading. After the reading is time enough to thank me. Uh, how much does a reading cost? We'll try for two dollars. 
can afford that, can't you? Oh, sure, that's fine. Have you ever had a tarot reading before? No, I've never been to a fortune teller before. Don't use that expression, fortune teller. It's so vulgar. I prefer to be known as a chiromancer or clairvoyant. Now, first we must find the card that represents you. If you've never had a tarot reading before, you've probably never seen cards that look like these. No, I haven't. Our modern deck of playing cards is based on these. But most of the symbolical cards have been left out. Here you are, the Knight of Cups. Why is that me? Because this card represents a fair young man, innocent and searching. Take a good look at these cards, young man. They contain all the secrets of the universe. How can a deck of cards contain all the secrets of the universe? Each card is a symbol. Linked together properly, the total of all these symbols contains the total of man's knowledge. Yeah, it's like uh, putting a message into a code. Exactly. Now, this is what crosses you. Mm -hmm. This is what crowns you. This is what is beneath you. Mm -hmm. This is what is behind you. What is before you. This is you, your house, your hopes and fears, and this is your future. What do you say? How strange. What? There are certain lunar aspects suggested here. The moon card represents the journey into the unknown. The dog and the wolf, the fears of the mind, the deep primitive instincts in all of us. You see, the crab is attempting to climb out of the water onto the land, but it almost always sinks back again. What does that mean? Don't be impatient. I don't like to make a mistake. A mistake in this profession can be disastrous. You see, the lunar card is most unhappily placed next to the card known as the hanged man. What does the hanged man mean? Ah. This is a card of profound significance. The figure shows life in suspension. It has often falsely been called a card of martyrdom, but martyrdom involves suffering. And if you will look closely at the face of the figure, you will see that it expresses deep entrancement. This card shows that a great awakening is possible. Reminds one that after the sacred mystery of death, there is the glorious mystery of resurrection. Well, uh, is that good or bad? My dear boy, the cards don't lend themselves to oversimplification. Well, what about Mora? I'm afraid she's caught in a Vortex of evil. And you, it saddens me to tell you, but you are in danger, grave danger. What kind of danger? 
Now that is a question you do not need to ask me. The answer lies already in your heart. Well, I wouldn't put much stock in what a fortune teller says. I don't. It's just when you keep hearing things over and over again, you start believing it after a while. You said some things about Mora. What do you really know about her? Oh, I've been sorry about what I said the other afternoon. That was really none of my business. I was just telling you what I'd read in the newspapers, because I thought you ought to know. I just can't believe that... Are you in love with her? Yes. It's a funny thing about love. Um, it can happen very suddenly, you know what I mean? When you're lonely, or when you've been looking for someone. I don't know what to do for more. See, she believes it, too. Believes what? Did she kill those boys? No, 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 no. I... I can't explain. Well, try not to worry about it. Why, maybe things will turn out better than you think. You want some more coffee? I'm gonna go for a walk. Get some time to kill before uh, Maura gets home. Is she, uh, working? Yeah. Well, Ellen, it is Ellen, isn't it? Uh-huh. I didn't think you'd remember. Johnny. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening to me. It's sort of hard sometimes when you don't have anybody to talk things over with. I know. Maybe you'll come around again soon, huh? Yeah. Okay. I'll see you later. Okay. Bye, Johnny. Good day today? I sure did. There were lots of people on the pier. That's good. I'm sort of tired. Why don't you lie down for a while? Yeah, I think I will. You gonna be in there long? No, not long. Okay. That's good. I'm anxious to see you.
Welcome back to Frightening Tales. Tonight we've been talking about all kinds of things. We had a special report from Burgers, and we've talked about the top eight horror movies to watch on Valentine's Day. So let's get back to our story. Because I'm really enjoying this Louisiana ghost story. Dominic has met Justine, and she has abruptly left. Here is the morning after. All Saints' Day dawned cool and overcast. A light mist fell over the city, adding to the somber mood of a day already dedicated to the dead. I rose and dressed and began to read the Times-Picayune. My phone rang just as I finished the paper. Hello? It was my erstwhile dinner companion, Jake James. Tom, we are so sorry we couldn't make it last night, Jake said. Emily came down with some sort of 24-hour virus, or in this case a 16-hour virus. Because she's just fine now. It was the strangest thing. We were getting dressed to meet you and she just crumpled to the floor, dizzy and weak. Must have been something she ate because it passed pretty quickly. But we didn't think it was a good idea to try to make dinner. Ashley didn't want to go on a blind date without Emily. So I guess you didn't have much of a night last night, he concluded. Who's Ashley? She was your date last night, Goofy. Jake, are you telling me the date you had lined up for me didn't show last night? What are you talking about? No, as far as I know. What does Ashley look like? Five foot seven, blonde, green eyes. Jake, I'll get back to you later. I hung up the phone. I got in my car and drove the short distance to 720 St. Louis and realized that I must have gotten the address wrong. 720 St. Louis was the address of St. Louis Cemetery Number 2, one of the oldest cemeteries in New Orleans. Row upon row of above-ground crypts stretched across the whole block. There was an unusual level of activity that morning because it's traditional in New Orleans to adorn the graves of departed relatives with flowers and devotions, so I was not alone in the cemetery. I walked in past the wrought iron gates and proceeded straight ahead as she had instructed. I came face to face with a very old crypt, dating from the early 1830s. As I looked closer, I read the inscription, Dominique U, 1775 to 1830. Dominique U was a famous privateer and confederate of Jean Lafitte. He had fought in the War of 1812 with the Bear Terrier Pirates and Lafitte, and had been decorated for valor by Andrew Jackson himself. He had received a full pardon, as had Lafitte for his earlier transgressions, and lived out his life in New Orleans as a famous patriot. An inscription from Voltaire's Henriade was carved into the marble in French, which read, Fearless warrior on land and on wave, in a hundred fights he showed his worth, and this new Bayard, righteous and brave, could watch without trembling the end of the earth. I peered closer on the stone, and below the inscription there was another which sent a cold chill up my spine. Justine de Bonnet U, beloved wife of Dominique U, 1790-1831. The inscription in French below read, His most precious pearl, and lying on the ground in front of the crypt, was a single card, the lovers. Now that concludes my Louisiana ghost story. Now let's finish our feature for tonight, Night Tide. Nora?
You go have a massage. Okay. I don't want to leave you alone, though. No. I'll be all right. It's morning now. Sure you'll be all right? Mm-hmm. Where's the bathhouse? It's down at the end of the pier. Will you get some rest while I'm gone? Mm-hmm. I'll see you in a little while. All right. Tied up in knots, kid. What's the matter? Girlfriend ain't uh, treating you all right? Hmm? No, it's just. I'm just a little tense, that's all, I guess. Uh, we put you in good shape. Well, fancy seeing you here. What a delightful surprise. Hi. Uh, and how are you today, Bruno? Oh, Captain, you want me to pound you later? Now, am I likely to forego a pleasure like that? By the way, Johnny, I hope you haven't forgotten the conversation we had the other day. I've been really worried about you, you know. Really? Yes, really. Tell me something. Has, uh, has Maura been acting a little odd recently? No. Sure, now, you're telling me the truth? Well, it doesn't matter. It's just that I want to give you a bit of advice. You must be especially careful now at the time of the full moon. Because that's when the tides pull the strongest. As I said, uh, a word to the wise. What are you trying to... Johnny, I've been thinking about last night. And I've decided that I must have been walking in my sleep. But I don't want to talk about it. I'm going to forget it. You know, that's the best thing I've heard you say. We'll just forget about it, all right? 
That's what I've been trying to get you to do, you know. I know. All right. We'll forget about it. All right. Yeah. And so what are you doing? Cleaning the diving equipment. I was looking at the calendar, and I noticed that the moon was full. And I realized that the tides will be just perfect at a certain place, I know. And I thought we could go diving there this afternoon. I don't think it's a very good idea. Why? It's too cold. But the water is warm. I just don't think it's a good idea. I think you should rest. I don't want to rest, Johnny. I feel fine. You're here such a short time on the weekends, and I have the whole week to rest when you go. Please go with me. All right. Where do you want to go, darling? It's not far from here. You'll see. How do you know where we are? Because I've been here before. Must be awfully deep here. It is. What's the point of diving here? There are reefs under here. You'll see. Johnny? What? Stay close to me. We mustn't become separated.
One quarter of a dollar more than the Burmese. These are underwater. More, more of the Burmese. Brought to you from the waters of a distant sea. Twenty-five cents. Twenty-five cents more of the Or the mermaid, ladies and gentlemen. See her underwater. The only mermaid in captivity in exact spot where the deed occurred. But you had to see her, didn't you? You had to see the result of your monstrous act. But I loved her. You loved her. What do you know about love? I've loved her ever since she was a child. No, you did it and you must pay for it. How did you find her? God wanted me to find her. She was such a sweet, good child. Oh, I... I thought the shooting gallery was closed tonight. It is. It sounded like it came from over there. What's going on in here, buddy? Sit down. This is somewhat irregular, but Captain Murdoch here has agreed to give us a statement, and he asks that you be present. You can go ahead now, Captain Murdoch. To begin with, I want you to know that no matter what I've done, how wicked or unreasonable it may seem, it was done for love of Mora. I've loved her ever since I found her. She was a pathetic little thing in that Greek island village, abandoned there to almost certain starvation if I hadn't taken her into my home. But of course I realized that like all children, she would eventually grow up and leave that home. That preyed on my mind constantly. I, I couldn't face the thought of her leaving me. So I decided to plan some way to keep her with me always. The best way seemed to make her entirely dependent on my love. In order to do this, I... I told her the legend of the sea people. Slowly, I put into her young and pliable mind the idea that she was one of them, that someday she must rejoin them, and that she couldn't expect to have normal relations with ordinary people. But I never counted on the enormous power of her own independent will. Eventually, my love wasn't enough for her. She had to have another kind of love. And when she began those relationships, 
I decided the only thing to do was to cut them off at their source. So I killed those two young men. And I tried to persuade her in some way that she had done it. Under some strange influence from the sea people. And to a certain extent, I succeeded. I managed to cast a lot of fear and doubt into her mind. But she still demanded her freedom. She left my home, she took an apartment, and then she met Johnny. And if he's told you the story, then you know the rest. So my experiment in psychology failed. Or perhaps it succeeded too well. She couldn't face the recurrence of what had gone before. So rather than destroy the person she loved, she decided to embrace the rapture of the depths. That's what happened. Isn't it? Yes. You loved her, didn't you? Then perhaps you can understand. Just a little. I do understand. Captain Murdoch, there's one thing I've been wondering about. Johnny told me about a woman who frightened Maura. She was supposed to be one of these sea people. I assume she was part of your plan. Woman, I don't know what you mean. You know, the one that I followed to your house that day. Remember? I vaguely think you mentioned something about that before, but there wasn't any woman. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I've told you everything. May I go? Guard? But I saw that woman with my own eyes. This wasn't just something out of Moore's imagination. It's almost as... It's almost as if there was some truth to what she said. I think it's more likely that Captain Murdoch is merely trying to protect the woman. I suppose so. Yes? The shore patrol men are here to pick up Drake, sir. He'll be right out. Well, good luck, my boy. Just down the hall there. Hello. I found out you were here, so I came down to see if there was anything I could do for you. Thank you. I'm sorry about Maura. I hope that maybe on your next leave you'll come by and take a ride on the merry-go-round. I'd like to do that.
it stopped raining? That it has, Sigma, that it has. I hope you enjoyed tonight's show and thank you for listening to Frightening Tales. I'm your host, Justin, and here's Tommy signing out. See you next week. Bye.